2: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Today we are broadcasting from the 31st Cybersecurity Symposium here in Long Beach, California, sponsored by the ISSA OC. And we have some distinguished members from the ISSA with us, and we're going to talk about the latest that's going on in cybersecurity today. And this is really a fun symposium they have here. It's got a full a lot of people who are kind of on the cutting edge of cybersecurity. And I'm really thrilled with the guests that we have, particularly um, we have the ISSA president, Andrea Horry, with us and Powell Hamilton, um, who's just recently joined at Scripps Net Hospital. And um, he's going to fill us in on what's going on there. And we're all on together. So, Andrea Powell, can you, are you with us?
3: Yes. Thank you, Bennett
2: Paul.
4: Yes. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, um,
2: this is going to be a a strange cultural mishmash, but I don't know if any of you have ever saw the movie, all that jazz and in it, um, it has a comedian doing riff on Elizabeth Cooper Ross's, um, five stages of dying. And, um, which was quite a thing in the seventies. And, it, it kind of it went through a number of, it went through a number of different stages that people go through when coming to terms death. And the, the first one was denial, and eventually they worked their way up to acceptance. And, you know, it seemed to be a fitting way to talk about where we are in cybersecurity because um, I think we're going through a similar process. So for Kupler ross the five stages were denial, anger, where they're kind of angry about having to deal with the situation and bargaining. Well, can can I make a deal here? You know, I'll, I'll be good. I'll, I'll, you know, if you let me live a little bit longer. i like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then finally, acceptance. So, Andrea, um, where do you think we are in terms of cybersecurity?
3: Well, Bennett, I really think it's more Dependent upon the industry that you're working in or that you're assisting in cybersecurity, because I've seen probably all five of these stages of the different companies I've worked at so far in my uh, professional career. I would probably say Powell would agree
4: Oh absolutely it's uh, quite a roller coaster in the security space it, uh, I, I
3: mean we've we've looked at government and seen how government has a has a strong maturation cycle. That they initially started with because they had classified information they had on computing systems that they had segregated off. And then we saw the financial industry being hit and the financial industry, you know, they went through some struggles there. They did the denial. They did the anger. They definitely did bargaining. Finally, they were kind of depressed when they had to start putting the money out to (laughs) to support information security. But... They're they're now at the acceptance stage, and and you rarely get any kickback when you're at a financial institution. Whereas I I'll have to say that healthcare is probably mm, it's it's in its infancy. I think there's still a little bit of denial there, and and I uh, I think probably you talk to any doctor, he's probably angry at at what pal does there at scripts. That why are you bothering me with this stuff? Just do your job. It done for me.
4: Yeah, it, it is difficult, especially when the doctors are not only your customer but uh, the person you rely on to bring customers to your uh, facilities and uh, you're absolutely right Andrea it's uh, it's a denial stage they can't believe that they can personally be attacked or their records can be attacked and uh, they're not they're just getting to the stage where they're reaching into their wallet and starting to some monetary uh, uh, on controls and Trying to put the safeguards together, it's it's just as you mentioned earlier, uh, the healthcare industry is behind, and they're playing catch up. During and then in the meantime, the bad people are taking advantage of them. It's a real challenge in the uh, healthcare space, especially when you have physicians who are your customer and your employees, where we're them bringing in patients. And we're trying to give them the best care we can and protect their medical records. But the security controls that are in place, well, they're decent, but they're not at the level that they should be to adequately protect the data. And so they're trying to catch up. And uh, quite frankly, physicians are now just putting their hands in their their, uh, opening up their wallets and putting up some money to put those controls in place.
2: Now, it, it's interesting. Healthcare, on one hand, the healthcare industry is the most regulated in terms of, at least in terms of privacy and, and arguably some level of security because of HIPAA, um, which you would argue would, would create a, a greater um, incentive or pressure area. But then the, the flip side is unlike other industries, whether it's banking, or um, e-commerce, that it, it is primarily run by professionals who may not necessarily be the most tech-savvy people, and th- and that that could be you know sweeping generalization you know, generalization one of the day, but um, is is that really is that a, you know given that you have uh, you would think greater um, penetration or greater awareness, but then is 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 the fact of the low tech nature of the the kind of the the leaders of the industry uh, a problem?
3: So, one of the things that I've noticed, I mean, being with ISSA and now being at an international president's level, I hear and I see a lot of the regulations that are different chapters and our different members are contending with. and see. But the other thing, though, is security actually has a separate set of regulations and rules. And so when you compare the security compliance issues with the risk compli- risk issues, with the privacy issues, sometimes you find that they don't exactly line up. And so that's part of the challenge that, that us as practitioners have to go through is that balancing act of what takes a priority. Does the privacy regulation take precedence? Does the security regulation? take precedence. And then when we go to management with this issue, they look at us like, well, if you don't know, how do you expect us to be able to comply with this? Mm. And and it, it does. It's a, it's a dichotomy.
4: Oh, absolutely right. There is a balance and we need to ensure that we're keeping a balance of regulatory compliance and security. Um, it appears that sometimes the pendulum goes far to the left of being focused on compliance and less focused on security um, you, as you may know they can come up with all kinds of regulatory rules and the, the security practitioner spends a great deal of their time trying to meet those rules and less time thinking like a bad actor thinking like a hacker because uh, a hacker doesn't look at any compliance rules, their goal is just to break in. So there is a balance, and uh, I think everybody agrees being compliant doesn't mean you're secure.
2: So you're having this, this conference today, and you know it's the 31st one, and you have people coming from all over, from all different industries, and you know, we kind of just outlined the big broad sense of, um, where we think things are going in, in um, um what, wh- what is, what are people coming here to hear? What are the big issues that they're, they're talking about and, um, what do you think their sense of where we are is?
3: So I, I love the title that, that they came up for the theme for this conference this year. It's the 31st and, and it's called from the basement to the boardroom. And, and I, I think it's very poetic.
2: Andrew, you make a good... Because one thing I've always noticed, and you actually can... um, You don't have to research it. You can still go to an office and look at where um, the CTO sits and look at where the CEO sits. Usually the CTO has his, his own kind of system in one corner of the operations, usually far removed from the reception in the back section. And um, it's not really on the C-suite row. Um, or if they are, it's just him and all his people are on the other side. And um, it, it often seems to be the this, this physical separation of you know, the, the support system in tech uh, within any big given company. Paul, do you find that to be true?
4: That's absolutely true. Um, I've uh, been a CISO for the last nine years. This is the first year that uh, uh, my organization joined Scripps Health Healthcare. Um, I actually have a solid line direct report to the Vice President President of Audit and Compliance, and he reports right to the board. I also have a dotted line to Legal, and a dotted line to the CIO. Um, so they're starting to get wise on the uh, reporting structure. And you're absolutely right, uh, there's been a separation in the past and I think they're starting to recognize that. The other thing you mentioned is uh, you know, the, the boardroom. Um, in the past, most boards never had a charter of managing or dealing with security issues. Uh, Now you're starting to see a charter being worked in where security people report to the board and the board has to be accountable for the decision or some type of reporting structure. Now the accountability is starting to show up.
2: And so coming into this conference, what are some of the the things you're going to be talking about
4: today? Well, I believe uh, one of the main topics there is how do you communicate to the board and how should, what what is the responsibility of the board? Uh, Most people know that when you report to the board, you only have about 10 or 15 minutes to do a brief update. And if you only have 10 or 15 minutes, you need to uh, make sure that you're maximizing that time and uh, getting the board to understand your current state. And if there are any problems, they need to know because they need to share the risk that may be uh, upon the organization.
2: Is there any internal pressure in, uh, in this, in, as a professional in the industry to not be concede, seen as an alarmist? Um, you know, how, you don't want to be saying the barbarians at the gate every time.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You can't sell fear anymore. You just got to sell facts. Um, the days of you have a breach, let's terminate the uh, CISO and, you know, all the security people along that line, I believe are gone, or hopefully for myself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's, 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 a shared, um, it's a shared responsibility, all the way from the board to the end user. Everybody needs to understand that security is everybody's responsibility. And I know that statement's been said for a long time. I actually now feel people are starting to share that belief.
2: What do you think, Andrew?
3: I think that's very true. The other thing I think that's happening that shows a maturation in, in where we are, even from a Internet uh, cyber perspective, is that we're starting to see people... Actually, realizing that they need to share some of the threats that are hitting them, some of the vulnerabilities. So, for instance, there's there's discussions about well, how do we? Sh- and their intel, they know where our weaknesses are. They know where our systems are are maybe not up to snuff. So, so they're hitting those those target areas. They're hitting where their vulnerabilities are are exposed. And if we don't share more information on what we know about the bad guys, guess what? You know, it's just like gang
2: warfare. They're, they're going to be the ones that win. So so has the new law um, that allows sharing information both when, among industry and with the government, has that helped? Um, or is it it's too early to say? I, I
4: think it's a little early to say, but we're definitely seeing a collaboration with the uh you know, government, uh, bodies, uh, for example, uh, Scripps health is, uh, is located in San Diego and we have a terrific relationship with the local FBI, uh, organization, definitely some information sharing is happening. Um, it just took a while for organizations such as ourselves to get comfortable sharing that data with a, uh, government body. I think for a long time there is the uh, untrust or the lack of trust between a government body and a private organization.
2: And I'm sorry, Andrew, what what's your thought?
3: So a great, a great example I can think of for that is I went once I once went to an international conference where we were discussing encryption keys, and for those that of you that aren't familiar. The encryption keys usually have a, a public part portion of it and a private portion of it. And the whole discussion surrounded who should have the keys. Should it be the government or should it be corporate businesses, the ones that were providing the encryption? And after two days of conferences, we could never come to agreement because those that were outside the United States felt the government should have it. They trusted the government. They didn't trust their own companies that they worked for. Those of us here in the States wanted it to stay and remain within the confines of our corporation, our company that was providing the key. We did not want government involved. And and so there's definitely differences in the way our government, and and that's something that's going to be very difficult to overcome or to figure out a way of, of placing the controls and placing the knowledge base out there where it's shared with with that being in the midst of all that,
2: does you know, and this has been a very unusual election season. And does you know, the reports of the the from WikiLeaks of all the, the hacking and breaches of the emails that we've seen, um, do events like that actually make your clients, the ultimate clients, you know, the people you report to, um, more aware and maybe more willing to? be proactive?
4: Oh, absolutely. I think uh, with all the exposures that happen in the uh, government level and political level has uh, brought on a much greater awareness for it in an email, but we're going to be very uh, concerned about whoever we're using as an email provider has the control safeguards to make sure that nobody can break in. Especially uh, in uh, healthcare organizations, because that type of information is very valuable to the bad person and they would love to be able to bring information. Uh, you probably have heard in the past that a healthcare record is worth a lot more than a credit card uh, information. Uh, that's true because of identity theft. So, uh, in the healthcare arena, uh, although we're playing catch up, uh, the communication pieces or communication parts are one of the greatest concerns, uh, as far as safeguarding. Now
2: this will never happen. Hopefully at least it never happened. Each of you, um, you're actually just happening to be sitting, talking to the CEO and three phone calls come in for him. One is uh, the general counsel who says he needs to talk to him. Um, There's a class action lawyer on the other line. Two um, is um, the PR department, and they said 60 Minutes wants to interview us for an expose. Three, it's the CTO who says he has Julian Assange or Anonymous on the other line. Which Which call do you think the CEO would take?
4: That's a tough one. (laughs) I would think a conference call would be, uh, in call. No, actually, no, you don't want to mix those three together. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, I think, uh, the first call the CEO would take is, uh, to its legal counsel. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, I have a dotted line to legal counsel just like the board, legal counsel is is very interested in cyber cyber issues and they're getting more involved in fact uh, my dotted line to my boss um he's become a technologist not because uh well he does have an interest but actually now he has a need and uh, he has to uh, these are the same people typically who are working with all the contractual uh, agreements so really, they're in the heart of it, they're learning it, and they're becoming one of the top players in cyber war.
3: So and, one of the things that I find interesting what you in most companies, as a CISO, the first thing I would try to do is make sure there was some kind of incident response plan out there, and, and part of that incident response plan identifies. What is your calling procedures? What is your response to something like this? It basically gives you all these different scenarios. If it's a phishing attack, if it's a denial of service attack, if it's whatever it might be, a loss of a laptop, you want to try to have those items readily available for the individual in that instant response plan so they don't have to think. Because the last thing your CEO probably really wants to do is have to make a decision on the spur of the moment of something he's not really positive about. So Whatever you can give that individual or any other individual, for that matter, as as a cheat sheet is 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 well worth the time and effort to do it in advance. Just like we, at one company I was with was a Fortune 20. annually, They would have us practice with a public relations person doing an incident response interview, making sure we had our three sound bites. Did we know what we were going to say to the press? Did we know how to make sure that we weren't going to say anything that was going to cause havoc on the corporation and put us in a negative light inadvertently. I mean, that's something that you can't do without that expertise.
2: Well, uh, your responses are very insightful, and I would, I'm pleased that none of you said, my, he would, none of you would call the psychic Hotline. But, um, but there is one hotline we have to call, and we have to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Cyber Law Business Report only on cranberry.sm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after
1: this brief recess for our sponsors.
0: Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. Literature is taking over Miami streets. Between November 13th and the 20th, downtown Miami will transform into a full week celebration of the literary arts. More than 500 plus authors are coming to share their new work at the 2016 Miami Book Fair. The porch is open every evening, complete with a full schedule of live music and performances, a farmer's market and cafe, food trucks, craft beer, and more. For more information on the 33rd Miami Book Fair, November 13th to the 20th at Miami-Dade College's Wolfson Campus in downtown Miami, call 305-237-3258 or visit miamibookfair.com. Follow Miami Book Fair on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Miami Book Fair.
1: Cranberry Cranberry Radio, we're everywhere. Find our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere you download your podcasts. Pick out some new favorite podcasts now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: And we're back, and we're talking to Andrew Hoy and Paula Hamilton, and why don't we go back to square one, and um, Andrew, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and, um, and why, how what brought you here today?
3: So, it's actually been an interesting journey for myself. Uh, I have done CISO work, both at the aerospace companies, and then I was very involved with government space. I've also done information security, cybersecurity for gaming industry, for a marketing analysis company, for uh, financial institutions. And it's very been very, very, very interesting. Some of the financial institutions I worked with were smaller than oh, maybe two, three branches. Others of them were global and had branches in multiple countries and and Membership over 600,000 as far as their clientele. So it, it's been a very interesting venture. Presently what I'm doing is doing virtual CISO work, which unlike com- consult specific companies, as they're maturing, as they're getting to the point where they can afford a CISO full time, some, in some cases it's helping them actually find somebody to take that role. In other cases it's filling a gap while they're hiring a new CISO. And they have a, a mature process already in place, but they just want to make sure somebody's still steering the boat while they're making the transition, so they do the right selection and they don't feel rushed. And with other companies, it's, it's just helping them create, moving them forward, having the right thing, right tools available for them, and and getting controls in place for them.
2: And, and Paul, um, you recently left City of Hope. Did, did you give up hope? <laughs>
4: No, no, I, uh, I've really enjoyed my path. Uh, it's all been a stepping stone. Uh, I've been in the security space for over 25 years. Uh, I was with uh, Price Waterhouse for 10 years as a uh, consultant, so I would say that's where I got the bulk of my background. Uh, for, for the past nine years, I've been a CISO. Uh, I was at uh, CISO at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach, California for four and a half years. Uh, after that, I did go to the city of hope. Uh, I was there for two and a half years. Uh, but opportunities keep knocking on the doors for SISO opportunities. And, uh, one knocked on the door nine months ago to be the CISO at, uh, um, uh, uh, healthcare in San Diego. Uh, they have five hospitals and 28 care centers. And so it was just a great opportunity. Uh, but uh, being in the healthcare space it's uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, there's never a dull moment, and uh, it's just keeping me real busy
2: what well, what keeps you up at night
4: lately what
2: is what are the new emergent threats you see a lot about ransomware, but are there anything in particular that um, basically make make you wake up sweating
4: oh absolutely uh, i I stay up on uh, up all night because uh, I'm worried, but I also stay up all night because the phone does ring. Uh, we do get uh, the phone calls wow. of uh, all types of malware, and as you can guess, there are you know levels of malware uh, The ones that help us if if I can swing it into a positive uh, point are some of the adware the email bots. Those emergencies pop up and they test our incident response program, and we're usually able to uh, get on top of those, contain those pretty quickly, Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we we do the same actions if it was something worse, such as ransomware or uh, a breach into systems. So uh, we're constantly, almost weekly, there's a new challenge out there. Uh, I'm happy to say we haven't had the major vulnerabilities, but at the same time, um, we stay in practice with the lower level vulnerabilities. Andrew,
3: I think for me, I'm I'm very concerned about the Internet of Things. We've gotten to a point in society where anyone, doesn't matter what age they are, has some Internet, but in many cases that electronic device does not have security on it. And yet there's an expectation of privacy that the individual still expects, right? But at the same time, they want the convenience. They want to know how long it's going to take me to get to my next meeting, my next lunch. They want to know how long it's going to take to to connect to another individual. On They want to be able to use a free app to be able to make a phone call to Kuala Lumpur where they couldn't do that before. And yet at the same time, they're sitting there going, well, but I also want this to be private. I also want it to be secure, but don't place that responsibility on me. You're the manufacturer. You're the person making the software. You're supposed to do that for me. So it, it's really hard because in, in some respects, yes, technology should be incorporating security and privacy into what they build for us. But also I think beware as well.
2: You know, my parents have passed, but um, I do remember trying to explain email to them um, some 10 years ago when, you know, I was sending an email to my sister as a test, and she's like, well, you're going to wake her up. <laughs> I had to explain, no, you know, it goes to her inbox, It'll, you know, she can read it whenever. But I'm just, you know, imagining trying to explain Internet of Things to our grandparents or even our parents. I mean, well, your mom, you your seems to be a challenge and you know explaining it to our parents and then also that means explaining it to CEOs and board members Uh, how are they coming to terms with Internet of Things?
3: So it's surprising you you mentioned parents I have a mother who's in her 80s you know she's she's a woman so I won't say exactly how much she's (laughs) still doing two jobs one is is doing a volunteer friends of the library to raise funds for the library she she coordinates all the volunteers. she buys all the the items for sale in the gift store, and it all raises money for the library. She does that. The other thing she does is is she actually works with one of the major greeting card companies, does their stock, does all the inventory and everything and she does that all off a tablet, all via electronics and you know before I never would have thought she would have done all that but she, without any problem. And, and it's amazing. Second nature to her. And, and nobody came out to the house to show her how to do the connection. Nobody came out and set it up. She did it all.
4: Hamilton
2: is, you know, is, uh, is your grandmother doing group Drupal? Uh, <laughs> my parents
4: aren't around, but nevertheless, uh, uh, I, I think it's kind of when the phone was introduced it, it, it was magic. It just happened. And nobody gets into the details of how it happens. They just enjoy that it does happen. I, I think the same thing's happening with the Internet of Things or even the biomedical devices that are being introduced to our environment. Uh, really, it's anything that has the communication capability is a concern. Because if it has the communication capability, it is a, uh, a candidate to be breached and that information getting, uh, intercepted and, uh, exploited. Um, you know, back to, uh, back to the hospital, we, uh, in, in the past biomedical devices was a facilities problem. Now it is an infosec issue. And so we are teaming up with facilities and, uh, I have the, uh, cyber responsibilities of those devices. So in a uh, typical network, uh, let's say you have uh, 10,000 devices. Now, if you introduce the biomedical devices, you may have just tripled that number. So the responsibility of a CISO, you know, went from one level to uh, an extreme level of uh, responsibility. And so that's what's happening. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I would say that most healthcare environments are getting comfortable with the fact that uh, they have a larger responsibility.
3: So one other thing I'd like to add to that. I mean, even even just your everyday user, everyday consumer probably has a cell phone, probably has a TV that has this quote called a smart TV. And they probably don't realize that that smart TV, yes, it gives them the convenience of watching any show on demand. But it also makes it that somebody through the Internet can connect to their TV and modify the display, modify what's being recorded. So so there's a trade off, right? Convenience or security. And, and I think a lot of people are coming to terms with that, because when I remember the Bluetooth first came out in cars and, and now we have USB ports in rental cars. How many of you plug into that rental car thinking nothing of it, you just want to charge your phone up? So you plug your USB cord into the because you didn't think about bringing a, a cigarette lighter charger, right, which these days I don't think it gets used as much as for cigarettes as it does for charging devices. If you look at that, people do that without even thinking twice about it and yet immediately that car is recording information off of your phone and you don't know who that rental car is going to go to next. So, just some food for thought for our listeners.
2: And you, you, you raise an interesting question. You have a question of convenience for security. Can you think of an example where security is one?
3: Oh, you mean security has one as W O N, not security is one O N E. Yes. yes,
2: exactly. The, the big W.
3: Oh my goodness. I I would probably have to say what is in what the manufacturers of phones have have automatically placed on phones, to me, is a win. I think initially when the smartphones first came out, probably asking for a four-digit numbered pin at the most, and that was it. If you look at any smartphone today, you have options. You either can do a pattern, you can do password, you could do a passphrase, Mm -hmm. which was unheard of before anything over four characters. So I think probably in that perspective, we've got a win because at least the availability is there.
2: So, this conference. What are some of the, the hot topics you're going to be talking about?
3: Well, I know for myself, I've got a panel discussions this afternoon, and basically, I'm I'm I've got people from legal counsel on board, from corporate legal counsel, have an individual that has the role of of doing cybersecurity, and other members that basically give you kind of a boardroom perspective, and. Basically, it's going to be allowing the audience gauging it so that they can ask the questions of, well, why is it this, this is the response, and, and getting their perspective of how, how they look at security from what their task in life is to do, what their responsibilities are, and how new policies and procedures that come out from a security perspective are impacting their day-to-day jobs. And I think that's going to be good for the audience
4: to hear. How old are you, are you speaking today? Yeah, I'm not speaking, but I'm hosting a CISO luncheon, and I definitely know the CISO's growing concern of the shifting responsibility, the growing and shifting responsibility. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the responsibility is growing as far as the new devices that are being introduced. As far as the shifting responsibilities, I think most uh, CISOs are becoming less technical, and more business savvy. Um, The reason why is because we're working with multiple departments to uh, close relationship with legal, but I also now have a close relationship with the uh, communications and marketing groups. uh, Because if we do have an outbreak, um, I need them to help me manage that outbreak. Or uh, as far as uh, training and awareness, Uh, I'm depending on that group to help educate the end user, which ultimately we're we're very concerned that the end user could make a mistake and put us all vulnerable to a breach. The other thing is uh, the CISO is now putting on a legal hat. Um, They're teaming up with legal to read through these contracts and make sure initially we have all the uh, controls and safeguards in place to make us safe before we enter a contract. Um, one of the topics uh, is very popular and I think will continue to be co- popular for a long time is a uh, cloud computing. Uh, there's so much that can be done in the cloud and having a con- a strong contract initially could save you a lot of pain down the road.
2: You know, it's, it's interesting you bring up the cloud. Um, the legal profession, not one known for being at the vanguard of technology. <laughs> um, there have actually been bar opinions about using the cloud. In fact, there was one bar opinion that suggested that you may be um, endangering client confidences if you send your client a confidential email from Coffee Bean. And so yeah, there definitely is wariness about the <coughs> excuse me wariness about the cloud. And do you think people fully appreciate the cloud's risk?
4: Uh not today, but uh it's cleaned up and worked on and it's becoming more common practice uh as we move down the the, the technical space. I mean right now it's such a cost advantage to go to a cloud, but again, from a CISO standpoint, you got to make sure whoever you're doing business with has the security safeguards in place so you feel comfortable doing business with this third party. And also, you know, I mentioned initially you got to make sure you're uh, contractually uh, safe. But how do you monitor down the road? Um, you may have a paper agreement you need some kind of program to periodically check on them to make sure that they're meeting the contractual agreements. So when I said earlier about the, uh, CISOs shifting, one of the shifts is they need to figure out how they're going to manage and monitor third party relationships.
2: This is great. I bring on a chief security officer and he says, hire a lawyer. That's the kind of guest I want to have. So um, we're going to take a short break. Um, We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on cranberry.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and
1: Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com.
0: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com.
1: Synergize your search engine education from 101 to rock star level, only on Cranberry Radio, cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: And we're back. And once again, we're talking with Andrew Hoy and Powell Hamilton. Little SoCal um, Cybersecurity Symposium here in semi, semi-sunny Long Beach, um, a little cloud cover. But um, Long Beach is a, um, a beautiful convention city, and... Um, so ISSA, this is a 31st year. Um, tell us, what, what is the, the charter of ISSA?
3: So thank you for asking that. ISSA's core purpose is to really appreciate, actually, this podcast so we can get the word out to other people to know we're available to help answer some of these questions they might have in regards to cybersecurity. We, we basically are a not-for-profit, and we're purely about trying to educate the public and no matter where they are. We have 11,000 members presently in 141 chapters globally uh, in 91 countries. So, so we're Bangladesh and the Ukraine and also other parts of India. We already had a chapter there, but we've added a second one. So we do have a global presence. And if your listeners are interested, we actually have a ISSA International Conference coming up November 2nd and 3rd in Dallas, Texas. And we welcome anybody on this call to to please come join us and and meet us personally.
2: And what will be covered at the?
3: It's for everyone. One thing I love about ISSA is you've got everyone from people maybe deciding they're in IT but they're not sure where they want to focus. So they if they're thinking they might want to go into cybersecurity, it gives them an idea of all the different various areas of cybersecurity that are available to them to study. They, if they're people transitioning coming back from military service, it's another great opportunity as well for them. We have a cybersecurity lifecycle program, which assists them in getting to the next step. Maybe they're looking at going into management. They want to become a CISO, or they want to become a senior security analyst. We have availability for that. We also have a mentor-protege program. We have special interest groups. If you're in the financial industry, you can join our financial SIG. If you're in healthcare, we've got a healthcare SIG. If you're a woman in security, we have a woman in security SIG, and we invite men to the woman in security SIG. We we are, you know, we we keep it very open. Uh, we also have a security education and awareness SIG as well. So there's quite a few opportunities there, and and also with the the membership comes added value. We actually have a lot of alliances with various companies that provide free or, or discounted uh, benefits for going. So, for instance, RSA, we've got a discount for that. If they're interested in that, we have discounts for that. So, quite a few of those things as well we cover. So, we invite anyone.
2: And um, we're going to have information, information on ISSA, and our guests are available as usual on our um, with show notes on our blog, which is at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. In addition, um, you can check them out. What is, um, what, is, what is the ISSA website? If people want to find out more information about each of you, where should they go? Do you have a Twitter handle or a website you want to refer them to?
3: They can look on LinkedIn or they can look at ISSA.org. Either one's good.
4: Paul? Well... I try to keep my exposure pretty low key, but I would say the number one place that you could uh, reach me and ask me questions or, uh, ask to uh, keep in touch is LinkedIn. Uh, it's Powell Hamilton. And, uh, I think I'm the only one out there with that name.
2: Okay. We only have a few minutes left, but I'm going to do a speed round with some quick questions. So after the convention, you have your choice of having your picture taking with Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton um, Putin or the distinguished North Korean leader. Um, and, uh, who are you going to have your picture taken with?
4: Well, I think on my side, uh, I'm very interested in having a, a Trump ticket because I think, uh, a, a Trump pitcher, because I think that, uh, that's definitely something to talk about right now and who knows where
2: it'll touch you, but,
4: uh, <laughs> you, Oh.
3: That- I don't like taking having my picture taken. Let's start with that. But if I had to, I would probably do the same thing. I would probably have my picture taken with Trump.
4: No, then. Pardon or no smart pardon? Unfortunately, he did break some laws in my opinion. So, therefore, uh, no pardon on my side.
3: So, this is my opinion and not the opinion of ISSA. <laughs> I would have to say no pardon only because I came from the government realm. And, and unfortunately, the public only gets portion that the media provides it in regards to what happened and what's seen, and they don't get the full picture of the extent of the damages to the lives of the individuals that might have been affected uh, with the exposure that was provided.
2: Well, I, I, I agree with each of you, actually. And, um, of course, would you like to share your passports? No, just kidding. Um, I, I want to thank both of you for joining us and for managing logistics of this Um, it's been a pleasure guys I really encourage you to check out ISSA it's a good organization you know for not just for the professional community it serves but for also promoting awareness and reaching out and uh, addressing this very important issue of cybersecurity I congratulate them on the 31st symposium it's been fun every year coming down here and um, so best of luck for the show today Um, I'm glad to see it's growing and uh, it's quite a thriving Ben. And so thank you again. Any parting thoughts?
3: Hopefully I'll see you in Dallas.
2: There we have it. And Paul,
4: security is everybody's responsibility. Make sure you take it serious and uh, be safe out there.
2: Well, and, and Paul's going to be a regular guest since he's going to say hi an attorney every show. So... Uh, oh. I want to thank you again. It's been a pleasure. We um, want to thank you for uh, this. It's been on this report. Um, join us again. We'll be back here, same bat channel. Um, this is Ben and Kelly signing off from beautiful Long Beach, California, at the ISSA 31st um, SoCal uh, SoCal ISSA 31st Security Symposium. Um, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next week.
0: opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of cranberry news marketing and cranberry.fm rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited
2: this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines